0: There? Who's got a Bible there? One person. You do? Good. Let me read you something. This is not part of my message, but I just want to read you something here real quick. It's in Acts chapter 17. Acts 17 verse 10 says this, Then the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. So Paul... They just left Thessalonica and he'd gone to Berea. This is what it says. It says these, the Bereans, were more fair minded or more noble than the Thessalonicans, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. If Paul the Apostle walked in this room and started to preach to you, I think he would expect that you would have your Bible there and that you would search the scriptures to find out if what he was saying was correct. Amen. If Bereans had to do it when Paul was preaching, then Lord God Almighty, please, 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 have your Bible, and when you're listening to a preacher or a tape or whatever, get into the Word of God and make sure that what we are saying lines up with Scripture. Make sure it's coming out of the foundation of this book. All right. If the Bereans did it, and they were they were called more fair-minded. Luke says these were more noble than the Thessalonians. Thessalonians heard it. It's fantastic. Thankfully what Paul said was correct and God moved and the Spirit of God did what he did but the Bereans, he makes special mention of the fact that the Bereans actually said, righty-o, Paul, I hear what you're saying, I'm going to have a look. Yep, that's good stuff, good preaching, Paul, well done. And that's all we need to do. We need to get into this Word, we need to know the Word of God and we need to make sure that what you're hearing is correct. There's so much stuff out there that sounds really, really good. It sounds really, really great and it makes intellectual sense. But it's not all right, Correct? It's not all right. There's a lot of stuff out there. As a matter of fact, one of the marks of the end days, yeah, Jesus said that, that that they will be deceived, uh, if possible, even the elect. Even the best of us will be open to deception. So let's make sure we get into this word. Okay, if you've got a Bible there, we're going to turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. We've been looking at this book the last few weeks. Paul's big argument for a grace-based faith. Paul's big argument for a grace-based relationship with God. He planted the church. You can go back into uh, Acts chapter 15 in your spare time and you can see what happened there. It'll, it'll tell you the story of how some people came into the Galatian church and said, yes, what Paul preached was right, but he forgot a couple of things. You still need to obey the law of Moses and you still need to be circumcised. The cross is fantastic, but there's a few things that you must do along with the cross in order for salvation to be applicable to you Gentile people. And so Paul gets wind of this and he writes them this letter and that's what the letter of Galatians is. It's Paul's rebuttal of the things that these uh, these these supposed believers were saying to the Galatians. And he writes this letter and he defends the gospel of grace. He defends the fact that it is not a works... But If we could make our way to God on our own effort, our efforts and merits, don't you think after thousands of years somebody would have worked out a system or a way to do it? There have been many, many smart men Many, many intelligent uh, theological type people. If there was a way that we could do it, somebody would have found that way. But the fact is, there's no possible way that we can get into a right relationship with God apart from the cross of Jesus. There's no way we can do it. We are not created to be able to reach that height. We can't do it. We'll be left wanting every time. The Old Testament and all its laws and regulations and rituals and everything they had to do, they were basically being set up for failure so that they would keep coming back. Every year they would do the sacrifices. It would be a reminder every year, guess what, for the last 365 days, you failed, but I'll forgive you. For the last 365 days, you failed, but I'll forgive you again, but I will forgive you again, but I will forgive you again, but I will forgive you again. again. And it was a constant reminder, pulling their attention back to God, and back to the fact that God's standards are that high, that apart from His grace, you cannot have a right standing before Him. And then Jesus comes along, and this is one of the reasons the Pharisees got so angry about Jesus. Because Jesus would say, you got all these rules, and you're trying to tell people they've got to do this and do that. You guys can't even do it. You religious leaders can't even do it. You're, you're, you're tying a noose around the neck of these people that even you yourself can't handle. You're giving them something to carry that even you can't bear, you teachers of the law. You want to see who got Jesus' goat up the most in the Bible? It was religiously proud people. Those with religious pride got his goat up. He couldn't deal with that stuff. He could gladly fellowship with a prostitute, with a drug addict, with an alcoholic, with a broken, beaten down person. He had dinners with him. He sat at tables with him. But when he got around religious pride, something flared up inside of him and he didn't like it. And it's the same today. Because religious pride will tell you, I'm good enough for God. Because I do this... That qualifies me as being good enough for God. And because you don't do this, that means I'm better than you. And it's a lie. It's a complete and utter lie from the devil. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, nothing we can do. The beginning of our relationship with God began because we accepted what Jesus did. Not because we found out what we were supposed to do and we did it really, really well long enough that God suddenly went, now I accept you. Now you're in the team. You know, I've got... Uh, I coach uh, uh representative touch football teams, have for years and years. And uh, this afternoon, I've got uh, my second trials for the Ballina Under-18s uh, rep side. And I've got a whole bunch of kids that will come along. And for a couple of weeks, they've been performing for me. They've been out there doing training drills and playing, and I'm watching them. And I'm trying to, to pick and select the team, and I can only take a certain amount. And they're out there, and they're performing. They're doing the best they can to try to get my attention so that at the end of the day, I will pick them and put them in my team. And unfortunately, there'll, there'll possibly be kids there that don't make the cut and we've all been probably involved in that in life and only a certain amount can make these representative teams and some kids can't, but you've got to pick. The kids know that so they're performing to get picked. And some Christians have that mentality. We're performing and we've got to perform really, really well so God will pick us and we can be a part of his team. I want to make the cut and in order to make the cut, I've got to perform well. Let me tell you something. You made the cut the minute you accepted Christ. You're in the cut. You're in the team. God doesn't have a certain... You're in. Whether you perform good, whether you perform bad, it's not the basis of your acceptance. You're walking out there on the field and he's walking out in the middle and he's saying, I just want to ask you one question. Do you accept the death, burial, and resurrection of my son Jesus? And do you accept that as the means by which you are now made right before God? Do you accept the fact that he died to make a way back to the Father? Do you accept that he gave his life so that you can have the life of God, do you accept that He paid the price for something that you couldn't afford? And if you humble yourself and accept that, then you're in the side. You have to perform. It's about what we accept. It's about what we believe. It's grace through faith that opens up that door for us to walk into relationship with God. And that's what Paul is defending. And you know what? It's worth defending. It's worth defending. Amen. It is worth defending. And today we still need to hold fast. And this is what Paul says to them. He says, stand firm in the liberty. Stand firm in that freedom. Hold fast to it. Why? Because there is going to be people and there are going to be things that are going to try to pull you away from that and get you back to being works-based and get you back to thinking it's all about you and take you away from grace and bring you back into a performance mentality. The world will batter you, will beat you. The church unfortunately at times will batter and beat you and try to get you to to get to that place where you start looking back at yourself and you start judging yourself and you start trying to perform again in order to get acceptance with God when it's all about grace. It's all about the cross. It's all about what Jesus has done. You are as accepted right now through the blood of Jesus as you could ever be. You can never be more accepted. You can never be more accepted than you are right now, this day, right here. And I don't care what your morning's been like. I don't care what's racing through your head. I don't care how angry you might have been this week. I don't care what sin you may have stumbled in. You cannot be more accepted to God than what you are right now. And that's a message that the world needs to hear. We've all probably heard the analogy, you don't skin and gut the fish before you catch it. You don't go to the sink And turn on the tap and wash your hands and wash your face and your neck and your knees and your elbows and everything and then jump in the shower. And if you do, stop it. You're wasting water. The shower does the same job. Amen? The shower does the same job. You just get in the shower, dirt and all, mud and muck and filth. You just jump in the shower and let the shower do its job. The water will clean you. The water will clean you. You don't have to prep yourself. The water will clean you. And God's grace will change you. God's grace saved you. You were born into the kingdom through the grace of God. And you will be carried through by the grace of God. The church doesn't exist because of our great faith in God. It exists because of God's great faith in us. He believes in us. You know why? Because he knows the power of his own grace. If he was just looking down at us and what we had to offer, then yeah, I could understand if he had a few unsettled moments. Oh, that that's my, oh, that's my church? My goodness. <sighs> I'm sure the angels do that every now and then. Are you sure that you've got this right, God? Are you seeing what I'm seeing down there in Jebar right now? Are you, sh- are you sure? And God's going, hey, shh, just watch. Just watch what my grace can do. Just watch what my grace can do. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18 says this. It says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lasts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. We came into this thing by grace. We got saved by grace. We started this journey by grace. Guess what? You are going to be changed by the same grace. You are going to be transformed by the same grace. You are going to be carried along in your walk with God by the same grace. God will do it. That which God has started, he will finish. He will complete what he has begun in your life. Many of us, when we get saved, we don't know anything. And we hear about Jesus, and we hear about the cross, and we hear about the blood. And, and God does something in our hearts. Unless God opens up the eyes of your heart, you'll never understand the cross. You won't. You'll never understand the love and grace of God because it's not love and grace that we know on a human level. It's a divine level. Paul talks about in Ephesians, he says, I praise the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you would know that you would know, that you would experience the greatness of God's love for you, his calling for you, what he's got for you, the great riches he has. He says, I pray the eyes of your heart would be opened so you'd know this. It's revelation that comes to us. And somehow, at some moment, something opened up inside our world, and we said yes to Jesus. And we came to Christ. It's amazing though how many of us, once we step across that threshold and we're now Christians, and now we go to church. And we start hearing messages. We read Christian books and Christian radio stations and magazines. We talk to people and we begin to realize that there's a whole bunch of things out there that are good and a whole bunch of things out there that are bad. Doesn't take long to realize that there are some things you should be doing and some things you shouldn't be doing. Doesn't take long to realize that some things are considered acceptable and some things are considered not acceptable. Doesn't take long for you to sit back and hear that, and then assess yourself and go, well, hang on a second, I've just heard this message about this, or I've read about this, and I look and I go, well, I struggle with that, that's that's my struggle, I've got this problem, therefore, because i got this problem, this issue, I want to make it right, why? Because I love God, because my heart is good, because I want to be a better person, a better Christian, I want to be a better father, a better mother, a better husband, a better wife, a better son, a better worker, a better boss, whatever it is, so I want to try to fix these areas of my life. Because I want to be made more whole. Because the more whole I am, well, obviously the better that God can use me. Is that right? Paul makes this statement. He says, Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. How many of you know Paul is writing to believers? Paul is writing to people who believe in Jesus, people who are filled with the Spirit. And he's saying to these people who are filled with the Spirit, right now, where you are, there is a battle raging inside of you. There's a battle raging inside of you. There are two things coexisting. There is the fleshly nature of yourself, And there is the nature of the Spirit of God. And they're coexisting. And there's a battle raging. There's a war going on inside. And that war is so powerful at times that you do not do what you want to do. You've got the Spirit of God going, go this way. You've got the flesh going, no, I want you to go that way. And every now and then we go the way the flesh says. But we wanted to go the way the Spirit... Because we're good people. And we do love God. And we do want to to be all that God wants us to be and we do want to succeed in life and we do want to be whole and we do want to make a difference in the world in which we live and Paul says this battle is raging on the inside of you and it's such a powerful battle that at times you lose and you don't do what's right let me get rid of a misconception out there I have heard people say that the Holy Spirit is like a dove The Holy Spirit is a dove. Now, we get that from Jesus' baptism. The Bible doesn't say the Holy Spirit descended upon him and was a dove. It says the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Ever seen a dove land? They're really gentle and graceful and, you know, beautiful, beautiful uh, creatures. The Bible says the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. Many people have this mentality that the Holy Spirit is a freaked out, scared little child sitting in the corner of a room. If you make too loud a noise, he's going to run. He's just going to run. Anyone ever heard the Spirit of God described that way? You have to be really, really holy. Because if you sin, you know what happens? The minute you sin, the Holy Spirit runs away from you and leaves you. The Spirit of God leaves you. And when you repent, the Holy Spirit flies back to you and comes back to you. How many of you know that's not true first of all jesus said of the holy spirit i think it was in john 6 or 16 when he comes he will convict the world of sin righteousness and judgment the holy spirit convicts us of sin when we do something wrong the only reason we know it's wrong is because there's something inside of us going that's not right how many of you know that little thing inside of you is not the flesh? Because the flesh won't cannibalize itself. The flesh doesn't want to kill itself. (laughs) It wants to be in control. It wants to be in control. It wants you to keep doing those things that you know are not right. And you know they're not right because you've also got the Spirit inside you telling you, hey, that's not right. So the Spirit of God doesn't leave us when we sin. The Holy Spirit doesn't run away from us when we sin. The very fact that we feel bad about something when we've done the wrong thing, when we feel convicted of it, tells me the Holy Spirit is still there with you. For without the Spirit's presence, there would be no conviction. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying the flesh wants to take you one way and the Spirit wants to take you another way. They're coexisting. They're both there. They're both there all the time. When you're doing the right thing, the Spirit of God is with you. When you do the wrong thing, guess what? The Spirit of God is still with you. You are still sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You are still God. You are still saved. You are still going to heaven. You're still right in terms of your standing before the Father. Nothing has changed. Your position in God hasn't changed because you made a mistake or you sinned. You looked at something you shouldn't have looked at. You said something you shouldn't have said. You listened to something you shouldn't have listened to. You reacted with a wrong emotion. You you, you went too far. with. The Spirit of God doesn't leave you at that moment in time. He's not a scared little boy sitting inside of you, Waiting, and as soon as something bad happens, he's gonna run away from you and, and desert you and leave you alone. The, excuse me, the Spirit of God stays with us. Now, Paul makes this statement. He says, everything's coexisting, there's this battle going on, but then he says this, but if you are led by the Spirit, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If I've got things in my life that I'm not happy about, things I know that God's not happy about, stuff that I know is not right, how do I overcome that? Paul tells us, he says, walk in the spirit, and guess what? You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. They're opposing each other, and every day we're making a choice, which way will we go? Which way will we go? Now, when we've got issues and struggles and stuff in our life, there is a way out. There is a way out. God came to give us freedom and to give us liberty. He came to set us free. He came to open up a door so that we could walk into freedom. Now let me give you uh, a definition of freedom. Freedom is not the opportunity to do whatever you want. Freedom is the spirit-given ability to do what is right. Look at it this way. If you are captured in a prison cell, how many of you know if you were in prison, in a room this big, it can be easy to do what's right? Because there's no opportunity to do the wrong. Because you are in a prison. It can be easy when you're controlled and constrained like that to do what's right. But the freedom that God wants to give us is he takes us out of the prison cell And then empowers us to still do what is right. To still do what is right. Freedom is not about doing whatever we want. It's about having the ability to do what is right. That's the freedom and the liberty that Christ comes to give us. That's the freedom and the liberty that grace leads us into. Grace is not a license to just go out and sin and do whatever you want. Um, On one hand, it kind of is. Don't shoot me down. Don't go away saying Ellen's preaching blasphemy. On one hand, grace kind of is. Because you're not saved based on your performance. You're saved through the cross. But when you truly understand grace and you accept the power of grace, why would you stay there? Why would you go out and do whatever you want? Why would you continue to walk in a lifestyle that you know is contrary to God's lifestyle? Why would you? When you fully understand the grace and the love of God, why would you choose to do things that hurt the Father? Why would you choose to do things that you know are not going to build into that relationship? So freedom is not the opportunity to do whatever we want, but it's a Spirit-given ability to do what is right by the Holy Spirit inside of us. The Spirit of God wants us to grow. He wants us to change. He wants us to get in tune with God. He wants us to walk the way that God wants us to walk. So Paul contrasts these two things going on inside of us. One is the flesh and one is the Spirit. If you are born again, you are in this place, you've surrendered to Jesus, you've given your heart to Him, then you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I think it's in John chapter 20. Verse 22, somewhere there. came to his disciples. He just said, receive the Spirit. My belief is that when we give a heart to Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about there are many baptisms, there's this, there's that. But we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. If you didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you wouldn't feel bad about anything wrong you did. You wouldn't have that voice inside of you. You wouldn't want to come to church. How do you think you got to church this morning? You were led here by the Spirit. Do you think your flesh wanted you to give up a nice Sunday morning and come sit in this room? Hang around with these people? Look around the room, please. You were led by the Spirit. Sometimes when we think about being led by the Spirit, we think about the, oh! those moments, don't we? We all have them. We have those moments in life every now and then where you're just sitting there minding your own business and bang, God says something to you. You go to go and do this or I want you to get up and pray for this person or wakes you up at two o'clock in the morning and lays a burden on your heart and you get up and you pray. We think about those moments of being led by the Spirit. But being led by the Spirit is not just those moments. You are being led by the Spirit more than what you realise. You are being led by the Spirit of God more than what you realise. You need to accept that. You need to believe that. You need to believe that you are being led by the Spirit of God. Being led by the Spirit is not like doing a tour. We've all seen the movies where they go for a tour in the museum and you've got the tour guide here and you've always got those couple of people in the back who have a chat. Oh, let's, when we get around, we're going to run over this way. And we get lost and separated from the tour guide. You've done that? There you go. So some people here have even done that. And the tool guide's going this way and you get caught up in something else or you they're going too quick and you can't, and so, and before you know it, you're completely separated from the tool guide. You're no longer being led by the tool guide. Hmm. You're no longer being led by the tool guide. That's not what led by the Spirit is. The Spirit of God stays close by us. Once again, that's why if I deviate off the path, He doesn't keep walking, He stops. And He taps me on the shoulder and He says, hey, come on, come on. Come on, let's go. Let's get back on the path. Done the wrong thing. Repent and let's go. Let's keep, come on, let's keep going. Because we're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. That's why it's called, what's why Paul says walk in the Spirit. I'm walking, I'm going somewhere, I'm on a journey. And the Spirit of God is involved in that journey. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is involved in your journey? Is your life just chance? Random things that are just happening. It's just biology. It's just karma. It's whatever. Or do you believe in a God who is actively involved in you? Inside you right now, inside you right now, is this thing called the Holy Spirit. 2,000 years ago, there was this big, empty cave. There's a massive stone in front of it. And they rolled this stone back and they carried the dead body of a man called Jesus and they Placed him down in that big empty cave. And they came out and they rolled that massive stone back over the front of it. And they put guards around it. And the rest of the world went back about its business. Three days later, something happened inside that cave. This thing called the Holy Spirit. I don't know how he did it, I wasn't there. Whether he flew in, lit up the room, touched Jesus on the big toe and power pulsed. I don't know what happened. All I know is the Bible tells me the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in your mortal flesh. That spirit, that thing inside of you right now in 2015, sitting here today, that thing was in that dirty, dark tomb 2,000 years ago. It's true or it's not. It is or it isn't. That same spirit is the one that's leading you. That same spirit is the one that Paul's saying, walk in that, listen to that, be led by that. Believe you are being led by that. And you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. God will change you, the weak areas of your life, the areas of struggle, the areas of of hurt, of disappointment. God can change them. But He changes them by His grace through His Spirit, not by your own efforts or by your own works. The flesh is not trying to make you a better person. The flesh is not trying to deal with those things that are contrary to God. It won't kill itself. It's the Holy Spirit that's leading us this other way. You've got to believe that that spirit's with you. You've got to have faith in that. You've got to understand that. It's true. It's not just words in a book. That spirit that raised Christ from the dead is inside of you. That makes you a very powerful person. It's also very humbling to know. Because at times I tell you what I feel like, that dirty, dark, rat-ridden, disease-filled too. I feel like that and I think, Holy Spirit, I'm putting you through it all again. You've got to live inside this. I'm just as dark sometimes. I'm just as smelly, just as dirty. But he's there. Freedom in the New Testament sense is not the opportunity to do whatever one wants, but it's the Spirit-empowered opportunity to do what is right. In any given situation, even when we do wrong, the Spirit of God gives us the gift of repentance. So if we want to be free from the power of sin. We want to be free from the flesh. We want to be free from those broken areas of our life. We want to be made whole. What do we do? What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Well, really quickly, first thing we need to do is we need to accept that our freedom has already been won. Our freedom has already been won. We're not doing things in order to get free. I'm not doing things in order to get healed. And I'm not saying you don't go to doctors. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is the areas where I need to be set free, where I need to be here, where I need to be changed, where I need to be made whole. I need to accept that 2,000 years ago, what took place has an impact in today. I was changed through my acceptance of the cross. Uh, Romans 6.6 6 says this, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You know what, right now, even though I struggle... Right now, spiritually, I am not a slave to sin. This is what the Bible teaches me. I've got to to believe what this Bible says about me. How many of you know the verse in Proverbs where it says, as a man sees himself, so he is. As a man sees himself, so you see yourself as defeated, you will be defeated. You see yourself as a loser, you will be a loser. You see yourself as victorious, you can be victorious. You see yourself as a winner, you can be a winner. And it's not about mind power and self-will and all that sort of stuff. That's You know, who's ever seen the movie School for Scoundrels? Anyone ever seen that film? Okay. On video, I'm not recommending it. (laughs) But there is a funny scene. It's got Billy Bob Thornton and uh, John Hedder from Napoleon Dynamite. Who's ever seen Napoleon Dynamite? Great film. I am recommending that. It's stupid, but it's my humour. So anyway, cut a long story short. The thesis of the movie is that that, um, Billy Bob is a uh, like a self-help guru, like a Tony Robbins type thing. And he gets people together in classes and he teaches them how to be winners and overcomers and all this sort of stuff. And he gets this whole bunch of people in a room at the the beginning of the film, the first meeting he has them, and he goes, right, here we all are here. And he goes, I want to tell you your biggest problem. He said, your biggest problem is if I came to your house right now, you'd have all the self-help books and all the tapes and everything about self-help and blah, 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 blah. And they're all sitting there going, yeah, yeah. And he goes, well, that's your biggest problem because you're trying to get help from yourself and yourself's a loser, I love that. I that's fantastic. Self-help. Well, you know what? If I can help myself, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. As a man sees himself, so he is. I need to see myself as free. I need to envision myself as free. If I don't, I will stay captive. Who's ever seen a circus elephant tied to a... T- Have you ever seen the pole they tie them to when the circus comes to town? They'll get a piece of steak about that big and they drive it into the ground. It's a piece of wood that big, and you've got a 10-ton elephant, and there's one chain running from that to its leg. You ever seen that? And you walk past, you look at it, and you go, my goodness, what if, all that elephant would have to do is have a cramp, straighten his leg out, and he's free. But he never does. He never does. Why doesn't he do it? Because from the time when he was a tiny, tiny little elephant, and that pole was, was a lot stronger than what it is today, he was chained up, and he tried to get away, and he tried to get away, and he, and he realized he couldn't. So he just surrendered he just sat there in it. And for the rest of his life, every time they get him off the truck and they drive that bit of wood in there and they put that, he feels that chain around his neck, well he just knows in his head he says, well I can't get free. And he grows up and he grows, and he grows up and he grows up and he's confined and he can't move and so on, all because of a misconception up here in his head because he sees himself as unable to break free from that little piece of wood in the ground. And many of us live like that. We feel like we can't break free. We feel like we can't win. We feel like we can't overcome this area. We've had this struggle for so long. We're trying, we're trying, we're trying. That's your problem. You're trying. Stop trying to make yourself whole. Stop trying to make yourself right. Grace got you into this journey. Grace will make you whole. Grace will heal you. Grace will, will, will help you get through those things that you are struggle with. It's God. When I come to Christ, I'm looking out here at the world and this is all my vision is. And then I hear about Jesus, I look at the cross and in that moment something happens. I put my faith in him and I start walking towards him and I begin a new life, but then how quickly do I take my eyes off it and I go back to looking at everything else again? I go back to the self-help stuff. But it seems right now because I just, you know, now it's got a couple of Bible verses attached to it, so it's all good. No, no, but there's a Christian... You know what, the reality is a lot of these self-help guys, they're getting their stuff from, from the scriptures anyway. A lot of that stuff comes, that's why a lot of it does work. But a lot of it doesn't too, because they're taking out the key element. The key element is relationship with God. The key element is the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to change, to grow, to make it through. Paul says in Romans, know this, that our old man was crucified. Your old man has been crucified. Your flesh has been defeated. But it doesn't want you to know that. It wants to keep telling you and speaking to you and keep you in bondage and keep you thinking that it has the upper hand, keep you thinking that it has it all over you. When it doesn't. My old man has been crucified. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been. Not I'm going to be crucified somewhere down the track. Not I'm trying to be crucified every day by doing good and change. I have been crucified. I have been. It's done. It's completed. Spiritually speaking, that transaction took place. The problem is up here. The problem is up here. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He lives in you. Christ lives in you. Romans 6.11 says this, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word reckon in the Greek uh, also is consider. It says, likewise, you also consider yourself dead. Consider yourself dead indeed to sin. You are dead to sin. Tell yourself every morning when you wake up, I am dead to sin and I am alive to Christ. I am dead to sin, I am alive to Christ. I am dead to sin, and I'm alive to Christ. And I might stumble today, just because I stumble doesn't mean I'm now alive to sin again. No, I'm dead to sin, it's just there's this battle going on and I had a momentary lapse, but I'm dead to sin. The hard work's been done. Spiritually speaking, the doorway has been opened up for us to walk into this stuff. But do we believe it? Do we believe what the Bible says about us? Do we believe that we have the freedom that Jesus talks about? Do we believe it? Do we have a bit of a mix of a belief? Part of what this Bible says, but also part of our own previous life experience. Where does it sit? The Bible teaches us that we have been crucified. Our old man has been done away with. The flesh has been defeated. Accept that. Second thing we need to do is we need to maintain our focus. Focus as I said before we got saved because we put our eyes on the cross but then how easy is it as believers mature believers of course the more mature we become we get over here and we've worked it all out we know the three ways to this and the five steps so we've worked it all out bookstores are full of enough books that will basically tell you you can do this Christian life successfully you don't even need a relationship with God just do all these things that's all you need to do. Principles are all good. They're all right. But you need grace. You need the Spirit of God to breathe life on these things, to breathe life into you. Maintain your focus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking under Jesus. Looking under Jesus. We've got to keep Jesus as the focus. It's so hard in modern Christianity, it's so hard in the world in which we live to keep Jesus as the focus. It seems too simple. It just seems too simplistic. In a complicated and complex world, it just seems too simple to just keep my focus on God. If I just keep my gaze on God, if I could just... Resist the distractions and the temptations and the things that are trying to pull me left if I can just maintain my gaze upon Him. Allow His grace to move through me. Allow His grace to move in me. Allow His grace to change me. You know, whatever you're looking at, you're going to hit. When we used to work for YWAM, I, could, I couldn't tell you the numbers of young kids that, that, that I used to counsel. And it would go something like this. As I was growing up, my dad was an alcoholic, or my mother was this, or whatever. And I swore to myself, I'm not going to be like my dad. And for the next 15 years, they spent every day looking at what they didn't want to become. What do you think they became? Exactly what they didn't want to become. Why? Because whatever you behold, you'll become. Whatever you are looking at, whatever you are fixing your attention on, you will become that. That's why it's so important that we fix our eyes on Christ. If I'm constantly looking at my problem, my issue, the very thing I want to change, if it's always there before my eyes, it will stay there. Because whatever I behold, I will become. We try and try in our own human efforts and our own uh, human energies to stop sinning by fixing our eyes on that sin and working out strategies and what, but we're still looking at it. When the Bible tells us, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Watch the transformation that takes place in your life when you get your focus right. Watch the transformation that takes place when you get your focus right. How many of you uh, remember when you first got saved and there was, I remember uh, uh, not even realising that there were things I could do to help myself or to make myself whole. I didn't know that when I first got saved. I just heard about Jesus. Yeah, it was amazing how transformed I became in the first few months of my walk with God. I didn't even notice it. But everybody around me did. My old man commented about it. You, you, it's like chalk and cheese. You're such a different person. I, didn't, I wasn't even trying to be different. I didn't even know how to try to be different. I didn't know that there were books out there that I should have read that could have told me how to get here and how to be made whole and deal with my emotional issues. And all. I didn't know that was all out there. I just knew that if I look at Jesus, somehow things seem to happen. If I just fix my gaze on him and get it off myself, stop trying to make myself whole. Stop trying to beat the flesh in my own energies and my own strength, my own efforts. Trust the Spirit of God to do what the Spirit of God says he would do. Surrender to God. And finally, the last thing is with humility, accept the changes. As God begins to change us, as God begins to work healing into our life, as God begins to, to help us overcome those areas that we have struggled with, we first believe that, yes, I can have victory. Yes, the hard work's been done on the cross. Then we fix our eyes on Christ. Man, if change begins to come, we need to accept it with humility. Because it's so easy then, when we start to see victory and we start to overcome, it can be so easy to get a little bit proud. And think, well, wow, look, look where I've come. Look what I've done. Look who I am now. Yes, I used to struggle with that. Here's what I did. I did that, that, The Bible says that God resists the proud. But what does he give to the humble? Grace. Grace. The power to change. The power to transform. The power to take a dead person and make them alive. The power to heal. Grace. You can't change yourself. So, the Bible gives you permission to stop trying. Stop it. Just love God. Just on Jesus. Focus on your relationship with Him. Let Him change you. Because He can do it. And if He leads you to counseling, do it. If He leads you to doctors and surgery, do it. All that stuff. I'm not saying against any of that stuff. But what I'm saying is we can't change ourselves. You are who you are. That's why we need Jesus. Amen? Because He can change us. Make us the people we need to be and the people that deep down inside we want to be. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you for today, God. We just pray for the rest of this week. Uh, Lord, I pray that, um, Father, we'd have a, a, a great week in relationship and fellowship with you. Lord, let us hear your voice. Lord, let us feel your presence in our life. Lord, let us uh, journey with you, God, to a place of victory and overcoming and wholeness. Lord, we thank you again for the death of Jesus. and just pray Father today that as we think about those issues in our life, as we think about those struggles, as we think about the weaknesses that we have, that Father we would not see them as as defeated areas but we'd see them as opportunities for the Spirit of God to move and that we would trust you to move that we would look to you to your Spirit to your presence as the vehicle that brings about change in our life We love you this afternoon, God. Be with each of us as we travel home. Lord, give us a great uh, Sunday afternoon, family and friends together, and bless us as we go back into the uh, working week, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Don't forget the prayer meeting. Tuesday, if you can make it. Other than that, have a good week.